Welcome to season one of the Comfortably Hungry podcast, where yesterday's dinner is tomorrow's history. If you're a peckish person who is curious about the history of food and drink, then you're in the right place. I'm Sam Bilton, a food historian, writer and presenter, and each season I will be joined by some hungry guests to discuss a variety of topics centred around a specific theme. It can't have escaped your notice that Britain, and indeed much of the world, is in a pretty rubbish place financially speaking. Just about everyone is feeling the pinch from the cost of living crisis at the moment. So that is why I have chosen austerity as the theme for this season. Now I'm not here to provide money or energy saving tips, as there are plenty of other podcasts and websites doing that very well already. What I plan to do with my guests this season is look at how people have coped or reacted in times of austerity in the past. We'll be exploring everything from food riots, heroic ingredients and the origins of some popular energy-saving devices. Although we are living in straitened times, there is no reason why the tradition of the comfortably hungry potluck supper can't continue, especially as the dishes provided are virtual after all. They may well be on the frugal side, but they will undoubtedly be delicious. So to whet everyone's appetites, I've invited my guests to bring along a virtual dish inspired by their topic. Today's guest is food writer and recipe developer Catherine Phipps. Catherine has written many books over the years, including Citrus, which celebrates those zingy sweet and sour fruits, and Leaf, which explores the versatility of edible leaves. But she is probably best known for her work with pressure cookers, a love affair that began long before the current cost of living crisis engulfed us. In 2022, Catherine published her second book on the subject, Modern Pressure Cooking. Welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Can you explain exactly in layman's terms what a modern pressure cooker does? Okay, very simply, it speeds up the cooking process. That's it, really. Um, So what it does is cut off about 70 to 75% of the cooking time. And it does that in two ways. It's basically a saucepan that's been modified to be completely sealed and weighted So when you get the temperature rising and the pot seals completely, the weight on top of the pot stops anything from escaping. So the steam will build up inside the pressure cooker and that rises the temperature. So on average, the temperature will go up to between about 118 and 120 degrees Celsius. So of course, everything's happening much, much faster and it's got other benefits as well which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. So what first drew you to pressure cooking then because it's a very specific mode of cooking? Yes it is and it's something that I think a lot of people of my generation saw when they were growing up because they were very popular in the 60s and 70s and 80s and my mother certainly used them for steamed puddings and making stock and softening um, peeled the marmalade and all of this kind of thing. I didn't really use them much until I was working in the Caribbean for a short period of time and I was working with, um, actually it wasn't people from the Caribbean who were using them as much as 
somebody in their 80s who was, again, using them mainly for stock. And then my sister-in-law, who is Brazilian, introduced me to them again. And this is the this was the point when I thought, wow, OK, this is when I can really use them a lot because she used them to make a really, really quick version of Feshwada. And she produced a bag of dried black beans and some sausages and some smoked pork or bacon and a few aromatics. And she got it on the table in about 40 minutes because the beans would cook plum dry in about 35 minutes. And I just thought that this was miraculous. So immediately went off, bought a pressure cooker, and I haven't really stopped using them since. Because this is the second book you've written, isn't it, actually, on the subject of pressure it cooking? It is, yes. Yeah, so I wrote the first one in the, um, I think it came out about 2012, and I've been working on it for a couple of years. And at that time, there was a resurgence in interest in them in the UK and the US specifically for various reasons. I mean, one of the reasons was that for the first time, some of our most famous chefs admitted to using them. So people like Heston Blumenthal were saying that he thought that um, to get the best flavoured and textured stocks and sauces, the pressure cooker was the way to go. And also it was around the same time that modernist cuisine was looking at various cooking techniques and various kinds of cooking equipment to um, revisit them and see what use we could make of them and actually what the results were. And they were um, reiterating the whole point about getting the best depth of flavour for things like stocks, but also being able to cook things like risotto very efficiently and getting an absolutely perfect little bite to them. Um, Yes, so at that point, I was writing about them from a, you know, what can you do in a pressure cooker point of view and trying to get people really interested in. And, and I call that my own first little wave, actually, because at that time, quite a lot of people started using them and got quite evangelical. What's happening now is that um, that is widening, widening out considerably. Well, obviously, because of the fuel crisis we're in currently, um, and also partly, in fact, I think, to the rise of the pop rising popularity of things like the electric models, the multi-cookers. There's they're kind of gaining almost a cult status in certain quarters, things like the instant pot and the ninja. I should probably make a confession here. I have been a pressure cooker owner for a number of years. It's a stovetop variety with a safety valve and clear instructions, but it has hardly ever been used because frankly, I'm terrified of it. For me, the pressure cooker has always been like a wild beast or monster that needs to be treated with extreme caution, lest it explode in fury and fling its contents all over the kitchen. It was not something that I felt inclined to attempt to tame. The safest option was to keep it in a basket in the attic buried under lots of boxes to be on the safe side. Hence, it hasn't seen the light of day for a while. As with so many things in the modern world, pressure cookers are far from a new phenomena. Almost 350 years ago, a French Protestant refugee called Denis Papin 
presented his findings on his new digester or engine for softening bones to the Royal Society in London. Using a forerunner of today's pressure cooker and having conducted numerous experiments using a variety of meat, poultry, fish and pulses, he discovered that when placed under pressure, ingredients could be cooked quickly with minimum fuel and water. One of his aims was to make meat jellies that could be consumed at sea, arguing that it would be far more nutritious than the salted meat fed to sailors at the time. Papin's invention was regarded as a great success. Diarist and fellow member of the Royal Society, John Evelyn, recorded in his diary on the 12th of April 1682 that even the hardest beef bones were as soft as cheese after the digester treatment. He also exclaimed that the gravy produced was the most delicious he had ever seen or tasted. So despite Papin's seemingly successful invention, it took a while for pressure cookers to catch on here, didn't it? But uh, when were they really first used? Really not until the 1930s properly. So people knew about the technology. The technology had been adopted in America in particular with Presto making steamed cannons which were huge pressure cookers because canning as a form of preservation was really popular in the US. The USDA, who said it was the only really safe way of preserving certain foods, the very low acidic foods that you weren't adding lots of sugar and um, things to. So we didn't really get proper domestic um, models until the 1930s when Presto in particular introduced them. I mean, they were being used, you know, there were various European models around at the, t- at the time going back towards the beginning of the 20th century. And there was a brand called Automa who made some specifically to help people going on Himalayan expeditions. Because one of the things about pressure cookers is that it will help things cook at a high altitude because the boiling point of water is much lower the higher altitude you get things would take forever to cook if they managed to cook at all and pressure cookers would speed that up for them so pressure cookers were quite vital if you wanted hot food on a on a mount everest expedition or something but yes as you do the first proper domestic models started to be mass produced in the 1930s in America and were very, very popular. Um, And these were the kind of jiggle top ones, you know, the the, the weights that would jiggle around. Oh, yeah, Um, I've seen this was, yeah, and and this was, um, they they were much easier to use and much simpler um, to look at than the very kind of complicated, clamped down kind of apparatus you saw with the canners at that time which you still see in some models so for instance I was looking the other day at some pressure cookers used in Afghanistan again somewhere where high altitude is quite important and they are absolutely stunning they are works of art they've got beautiful kind of dome shapes they've got quite ornate engravings on them but they have this kind of huge tall clamping system to twist the lid into place, the weighted lid into place. So what happened in the 1930s, going back to that, is that the the jiggle tops started being produced and they became really popular in America. And 
there was a bit of a lull during the Second World War, obviously, and, and I've read um, all kinds of stuff about how they were in so much demand that um, communities and neighbours were sharing them. Wow. Around that time. But it was the 1950s when they pretty much went big everywhere globally. Um, American companies like Prestige and Hawkins started going to, going into places like South Asia. They were being sold here. Marguerite Patton was one of the first people to demo them here, and she was demoing them at Harrods because they were seen as really cutting edge technology at that point. And I think there was a point in the 1950s when globally so many people had a pressure cooker. Um, and for various reasons, they remain very popular in certain places and less popular than others. And it's quite interesting where and why and how all of that happened. So I think in the in the kind of developed West, what happened in the towards the end of the 50s, 60s, 70s is that, is, is that more and more convenient methods of eating happened. You know, we got fast food, we got better refrigeration and freezing and ready meals and all of these things. And, and at the same time as there was this whole movement of women wanting to spend less time in the kitchen. And I think also because they first came became popular late 40s, early 50s, when rationing was still going on. In the UK in particular, there was this, I think they were a bit damned by association, actually, because it's the, the diet at that time was a lot blander in some respects. There was a lot of offal being eaten. And I know from talking to people who were children at that time, they have very strong uh, memories of quite uninspiring grey beige food that they didn't really particularly enjoy or want to eat. So there was that going on. I was quite interested to hear that uh, Fidel Castro was also a champion of pressure cookers. Now, this is a little bit mixed up with his views on communism and um, capitalism, obviously. Um, But there are some safety points here as well. So I think that this happened in the early noughties. I think it was around 2005. And what had happened in the 90s was that he had allowed certain people to have their own businesses in Cuba. And I think this was because at the time there had been various, they, they were suffering economic hardship because various aids and trading with the Soviet Union had come to an end. But these weren't particularly safe pressure cookers. And there was also this kind of DIY aspect to what was happening with pressure cookers in Cuba. So he went on state television in a hall in front of the Cuban Federation of Women and talked, amongst other things, about pressure cookers for roughly five hours. Wow. Us. In, in, in these days of, you know, short and sweet sound, sound bites and everything, it just seems incomprehensible. But he imported 100,000 pressure cookers and sold them at a vastly subsidised price to households in Cuba. Stop them using DIY pressure cookers and the less, less efficient ones that were being made there at that time because a DIY pressure cooker is 
probably not the best idea. Talking about DIY pressure cookers and the problem with pressure cookers, I mean, I didn't really touch on earlier about one of the reasons they fell out of favour a little bit was because people didn't think that they were safe. As I think that's one of the things, isn't it? I know from my own yeah. experience, and I, I cannot honestly tell you, pinpoint why. I don't recall my mum having a bad experience, and I can only assume yeah. at some point I had a home economics teacher <laughs> warned us off them because I'd never used one until recently, but that was mainly through fear. I was utterly terrified the thing was going to explode, and I had that in my yes. mind. So was that unfounded, or did that actually happen in the past? No, it, it did happen, but I want to reiterate it was very much in the past. I think after the first flurry of um, really successful um, pressure cooker companies um, like Prestige, who were seen as being very, very reliable, there were a lot less reliable pressure cookers on the market. And they weren't as safe in that they didn't have the safety features that modern pressure cookers have. So modern pressure cookers over the last 20, 30 years have been re-engineered to include lots and lots of safety valves. So what would happen in the past, and, and there were two reasons this might happen. First of all, people not quite understanding how to use them properly. And that's key, you know, like any piece of kitchen kit, you need to understand how to use them safely you know just as you would a microwave or an oven or a sharp knife or a mandolin you know every, everything um there's lots of things in the kitchen that you need to learn how to use properly and safely so originally they might just have one safety valve and the point of a safety valve is to release steam if the cooker is going beyond um, the pressure it should be at. So if for any reason that safety valve got blocked and the reason that it might get blocked is if the, if the bean shoots up and ends up sitting in there or you're cooking something very starchy and it's foamed up because you haven't put oil in to your um, cooker and, and oil works as a very good way of cutting the foam down. If that got blocked and the steam had nowhere to go and if the pressure was building because you'd left it on a high heat, then eventually the weight might come off and in, in very, very extreme circumstances, the lid might come off. Today, the pressure cookers have often five or six safety valves. So if one of them gets blocked, there's all of the others where steam can come out if somebody has mm. left their pressure cooker unattended. And I, every, every pressure cooker I get, I test this with just to see where I, I let it go over pressure so I can see where all the steam is coming out and to make sure it's perfectly safe. And, you know, they pass that test. The worst thing that can happen is that it can boil dry, just like any saucepan. I think to get over the fear of them, if people just think about pressure cookers as a specially adapted saucepan that you can use as a saucepan, you can use to do kind of regular steaming. But if you seal it and it's got the weight inbuilt into the lid, and that's the other thing about a modern pressure cooker, instead of having the jiggly weights on top that you could change to get different pressures, it's actually built into the lid. So there's no risk of that coming off at all. Um, yeah, they're perfectly safe. So the other point to make there 
is that, and I, and this is something that I see almost every day, even with people who've been using them for a while, is that people don't always understand how to use them properly. And there's, there's a key point to pressure cooking, and that is that you put it on a high heat when it's coming up to pressure. That's very important. If you leave it on a low heat, there's a risk that the base might burn. The point is to get it up to pressure as soon as you possibly can. So you put it on a high heat and then it comes up to pressure. And as soon as it comes up to pressure, you lower the heat. Because under a high heat, the pressure is going to want to keep trying to build. On a low heat, it will heat it just enough to maintain the pressure. And when you get that temperature right, you could leave it all day. You could leave it overnight. Not that I'm recommending that you <laughs> cook anything overnight. You don't, no. unless you want bones to be softened to the point that you can, you know, butter soft. But you could do that because it's a sealed vessel. No steam should be coming out. So you're not reducing the moisture levels inside the cooker. And there's no risk of anything happening. But what a lot of people do is they leave it on a high heat and that's when the accidents might have happened in the past when yeah didn't have all of these different um safety features but that is very much in the past yes it's absolutely in the past and today as long as you keep an eye on your pressure cooker while it comes up to pressure everybody has a different pressure cooker and a different heat source so when you first start using them it's you spend a little bit of time figuring out what is going to work in terms of how low you have to get the heat. I start mine off on my biggest ring and then switch it to the lowest setting on my lowest ring. And and that does the job for me. But everyone's going to be slightly different. If you do that, there should be absolutely no problems at all. Um, I was quite shocked, actually, to read um, when I was doing some background research that the Russe Gastronomique, Gastronomique, my copy, which admittedly is from 2009, so it's quite old now, claims, this is what it says on its sectioning pressure cookers, that in the opinion of gourmets, the pressure cooker cannot replace the traditional method of simmering. In such opinion, meat has a tendency to be noticeably softer with less flavour and the flavours of various ingredients in a dish are indiscriminately mixed. I'm go- I think I already know what the answer is going to be about. How do you answer that I think criticism? you know what I think about that, yes. I'm quite surprised. I mean, pressure cookers are, are really popular in mainland Europe. They never, Again, they never really went away in places like Spain, France, Italy, Greece. Yeah, I don't agree with that. Meat does soft. It tenderises beautifully. I, I feel as though... There's a difference between tenderising t- and soft, though, isn't there? It's not what he's saying. It's well, not so tender. Is. And, and actually, what I would say to that is the same thing I say to people who say, oh, well, you know, doesn't a pressure cooker ruin vegetables when you cook them in it? And the answer answer to that is, well, if you overcook them, cook them for too long, yes, of course that's going to happen. You can cook anything to a mush in a pressure cooker, just like you can cook anything to a mush in a conventional method if you cook it for long enough. quite, yeah. So the point is to create, develop, test recipes that will cook meat to the right consistency, the consistency you want, which is very, very possible. And I certainly don't agree about flavour. In fact, what one of the reasons I embraced it so wholeheartedly was because I 
strongly believed, and this is borne out by my own experiments and what I am told constantly by other people using pressure cookers for the first time, is that the flavour is often so much better. Mm. I would um, agree, actually. I've, I've cooked a number of your recipes from the book and actually adapted some myself uh, just because I had the ingredients. And I can't personally say that my my experience, albeit somewhat limited at the moment, because I'm a, I'm a, a pressure cooker newbie, but so far uh, I cannot agree with that comment at all. And maybe it's no. been updated. I will say that. So I don't want people <laughs> or, you know, messaging me on social media saying Yours, you're <laughs> incorrect. Uh, Larissa may well say something different now, but that is, as I said, my 2009 yeah. copy. It does show you that there, that there has been that kind of misconception. And, and again, it goes back to this whole thing about um, uninspiring food that people were perhaps first cooking in them. You know, I would hear, you know, that the jokes about mustard brown vegetables that have been cooked mm. too long and the kitchen smells of sulfur and all of that kind of thing. You know, I cook greens in the pressure cooker. I do most of my side dishes in the pressure cooker, actually. And it takes seconds. Yeah. And they are fresh and green. And actually, there are quite a few studies that show it is one of the best methods for preserving nutrients because it's a sealed unit and it's very fast. And yet the temperature isn't crazy high as it is if, if you put it in the oven or whatever. Do you think the cost of living crisis there is going to start encouraging people to cook from scratch again? And will the pressure cooker help with that, do you think? I'm not 100% sure about that, actually. This is something I think about quite a lot, because obviously we hear all about what's going on in food banks and how people, you know, heat or eat and all of this kind of thing. And the fact that people literally cannot afford to cook at the moment, which is why they're given cold food packages or kettle packages and all of this kind of thing. What, what I would like to happen, obviously, is that I would really love it if fuel efficient devices like pressure cookers became standard in people's homes, not because of the just because of the cost of living crisis that's going on at the moment, but purely from a sustainability issue as well. So I am hoping that if anything good comes out of this horrible situation we're in at the moment, it might be that people do look at their fuel consumption differently and get into slightly different habits and I hope I don't sound as though I'm coming from a position of privilege about being able to fine-tune my fuel consumption when no, I no. say this because I understand that a lot of people really cannot afford to even switch their hob on at the moment but I'm hoping that if people do understand that these methods are out there and that this equipment is available to them it might change the way we look at how to cook in a quite sustainably mindless way often I think yeah you know I you know you read you sometimes read books on sustainability and the ingredients are sustainable and they're using food in such a way that there's very little waste but often if the first thing you do is switch the oven on yeah you know I think that's one part of the sustainability thing with food that is often ignored yeah absolutely um, I'm quite interested in the fact that there's a lot of interest at the moment in looking at alternative ways of 
cooking that doesn't involve putting the oven on. I mean, one of the things that does come across from your book is the versatility of the pressure cooker. As you yeah. said, it can be used to cook everything from stews and soups, which is, I guess, quite obvious. Most people would associate the pressure cooker with those sort of dishes. But um, there are also recipes for things like cooking pasta, um, risotto. Yeah. And I have tried that yeah. because I was, I'll be honest, I was a proper doubting Thomas. I was like, that's definitely not going to work. And I can ca- categorically say I've, I'm now a convert because I'm like, why would you spend hours stirring a risotto when you can just do it in the pressure cooker? It was brilliant. And even puddings. Interestingly, Papan, who we was, um, I spoke about earlier, um, did consider whether his digester could be used to hatch eggs. That is to produce chickens, <laughs> li- live chickens. Yeah. Reasoning that, and I'm quoting him here, the pressure might hasten the formation of a chicken as well as it doth the coction of meat. The idea was to place the eggs in glass pots in the engine, which would then be heated very gently and brought to a low pressure, yeah. thus encouraging the chickens to hatch a prototype incubator if you like i think you'll all be relieved to hear that he decided against testing his theory so we've no idea whether that would work and i strongly suggest anyone that has chickens and eggs that you don't try it but i was quite surprised that one of the things you say a pressure cooker can be used for is to cook eggs for generally something that cooks quite quickly why would you use a pressure cooker to cook eggs well first of all i wouldn't use it to do scrambled eggs, omelettes, fried eggs, poached eggs, etc, etc. <clears throat> There's no point to that at all. But they will boil. When I say boil, actually, what you do is you steam the eggs very, very efficiently, because you need much less water. It is a much faster process. And actually, it depends what you want to use them for. But if you want a really lovely squidgy mullet egg, because you want to do a scotch egg or something like that, then it is an absolutely perfect way of cooking them. And the reason for that is the whites will set slightly firmer when you've still got quite a runny yolk. And this is the key point. Pressure cooking eggs means that they peel incredibly easily. And I can only assume that pressure is being put through that little membrane and the actual egg white because as soon as you crack them, they just seem to fall off. Oh, wow. So if you're using very, very fresh eggs that you want to peel, pressure cooking will really, really help with that. But the other the other thing about egg cookery is they're amazing at anything with a custard base. So savoury custards, creme caramels, sweet custards, cheesecakes, anything like that. Again, they will cook very, very quickly because you're using the pressure cooker like a bain-marie. And the texture in particular you get for something like a cheesecake when it's had time to set afterwards is just really, really good. And it won't crack either. A lot of the time when you do a bain-marie in the oven, they they crack. So Uh there are benefits to that. And also, I do kind of quite, I like experiment with, composite type dishes the kind of dish where you're putting lots of separately cooked things together at the end and that can be a salad like salad niçoise or something like a kedgeri and so for instance I've worked out the timing so I can cook new potatoes eggs and green beans at the same time in the same cooker to get al dente green beans cooked potatoes and hard-boiled eggs wow 
So you're just saving, you know, you've gone down from three to one. She's less washing up, which let's face it, is always yeah. a bonus, isn't it? I know I notice on the internet that you can make your own pressure cookers, which I, I, I'm not in. I definitely I'm shaking my head here like crazy. Um, I would not recommend anyone do that. I, I'm glad you said that because I, I looked at a couple of YouTube videos and I'm like, that is, to my mind, asking for trouble. There are quite a lot of scientifically minded, mechanically minded cooks out there I know who I'm sure who would have great fun with this kind of thing. But I would not advise it for anyone who wants to actually create a pressure cooker to cook with on a very regular basis. Price wise, you can get a decent one for around £40, Hmm. which isn't crazy prices. No, it's Um, not. I I agree. I mean, I would say there's you can get ones that are quite reasonable in price. It's all relative. You don't have the money at the moment to to put your heat, your cooker on. You're probably not going to have even that amount of money to spend. But as you say, it's it's something to bear in mind for the future, I think, generally with cooking in terms of its sustainability. There are all kinds of ways in which people are looking at getting things like pressure cookers and slow cookers to those people on a low income. There are a lot of food pantries around that will provide their clients with around £40 worth of fresh produce, not just fresh fresh produce, um, non-perishable stuff as well, on a weekly basis for about £3.50. And this is really different from the food bank because they're getting ingredients as opposed to tins of heatable food, reheatable food or whatever. So that's really good. And you know, there, there have been schemes to get slow cookers to people and I'm hoping that we can broaden that to include pressure cookers as well because that could help people a lot it is that initial outlay which is just prohibitive for so many people at the moment what piece of advice would you give people to help them conquer their fear of pressure cookers have in their minds that a new modern pressure cooker is very very different from the old style and baby steps I know some people I, and I've been guilty of this in the past as well, would take two months to get something out of a box because they're scared of it. Guilty and then as sometimes charged. there's just, yes, <laughs> there's a sudden impetus to do it. And then you think, why did it take me so long? Why was I so scared about it? Do a quick test. I'd always recommend do a quick test. Put a couple of centimetres of water in the base of the pressure cooker and then work out what it's supposed to look like at the various stages so put it on a high heat make sure it's set to high pressure watch what happens the pressure gauge will come up a little bit of steam might come out as it's coming up to pressure and then lower that heat and you'll see what it's supposed to be like when it's cooking at pressure then there's nothing in it you're not going to burn anything Uh, the other thing which is very very effective i have found in overcoming people's fears is demos Try and go to a demo yeah. if you can. Are there community groups that do things like pressure cooker demos? Well, I do them and I do them for local WI groups and things like that. So actually, if anyone wants to get in touch about a demo, feel <laughs> free to do so. I love doing them. But yeah, I'm hoping to see more of that as we go forward. Definitely. I do FaceTimes with people as well. If they get absolutely petrified and they've got a pressure cooker and my book in front of them and they're just too scared to do it I will talk them through it 
and it's surprising how much difference that makes it's 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 bonkers do you have videos and things on your instagram there are a couple on there you know just very simple things like showing people what a pressure cooker looks like when it's cooking at pressure and you can tell that there's no steam coming out and it's virtually silent and that immediately makes people stop and stare because their memories of our kitchens filled with steam I mean I had that you know when my mum was steaming the Christmas puddings or whatever Christmas day the kitchen would be full of steam because steam did come out at a regular basis Now we come to my favourite bit of the podcast when I find out just what delights my guest is contributing to the season's virtual and humble potluck supper. What dish are you contributing to the season's potluck supper? Okay, well, I chose this for you, Sam, because I know you like supper. (laughs) Oh, really? Um, (laughs) My secret's out. So it's a saffron and bay poached pear. Now, poached pears can take forever oh they can sometimes you know they really can and this was just a really good example of how fast things can be in a pressure cooker because they take three minutes at high pressure wow and obviously the cooking time is it comes up to pressure very quickly three minutes at high pressure and then the cooking does continue and this is actually a point another point about pressure cooking that i meant to make earlier The cooking isn't always done at high pressure because when you let something drop pressure naturally, it's still coming down from about 120 degrees Celsius. So it's cooking during all of that time, which makes it even more fuel efficient. And I think we had a conversation prior today about the fact that I am experimenting on how to use them as almost like hay boxes. Mm, Yeah, because. And and I'm working out methods with all kinds of things, but especially with soaked beans, with the idea that you bring the cooking diet time down to as short a period as possible. And that if you cook soaked beans and bring them up to pressure, often cooking them for the time it takes for them to go up to pressure so they get up to that higher temperature and then switching them off and leaving them until the pot is completely cold, which can take a couple of hours, actually, they'll be cooked. Wow. So it's a way of completely cutting down uh, the amount of time and well, not time, actually, but fuel and money you're spending on them. Where can listeners get hold of your books and find out more about your work? So my books are available at all the usual places. You can order them for an independent. You can get them everywhere online. I do the majority of my pressure cooking stuff on Instagram and I do a real mixture of stuff on there. There's a real emphasis on sustainability, economy, seasonality. And I do little things like, for example, regularly in my stories, I will put on whatever I've cooked really quickly in the morning for my son's school thermos for lunch and that kind of thing, which hopefully gives people lots of ideas. But just so that everyone knows what you are, who you are on Instagram, anyone listening? Yeah, just Catherine Phipps. Simple as that. And what's next on the horizon for you? Definitely more pressure cooking in terms, probably in terms of books, lots of demoing. And as I was saying earlier, I'm hoping to do work in terms of fundraising for pressure cookers and also showing people how to use them. Lovely. Thank you to Catherine Phipps for joining me today. 
You can find links to her book, Modern Pressure Cooking, and her other books like Citrus and Leaf in the show notes. You can also find Catherine on Instagram at Catherine Phipps or subscribe to her new pressure cooking newsletter, Catherine is Under Pressure on Substack. Catherine and I chatted for ages about pressure cookers, so I'll be posting a mini podcast episode soon containing the bits that didn't make it into this one. If you'd like to find out more about my work, pop along to sambilton.com where you will find details on my books on gingerbread and saffron as well as the Comfortably Hungry blog. You may also want to subscribe to the Comfortably Hungry newsletter on Substack, which includes recipes and more detailed notes from the show. And thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please let me know on Twitter at SJFBilton or Instagram at Mrs. Bilton, that's with two S's. And if you really love this episode, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. I'll be back soon with another austerity podcast, but until then, take care. This podcast was created, researched, produced, recorded and edited by me, Sam Bilton, with music and sound effects provided by zapsplat.com.